This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 633, and we welcome the intentional restorer and host of the DYO Joe podcast, John Isaacson. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They're the reason we can continue doing the show. Please thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio Plus. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association at AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists at ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute at CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association at IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association at restorationindustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification at iicrc.org, and Healthy Buildings America 2021 at hb2021-america.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories at aemlinc.com, Particles Plus at ParticlesPlus.com, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions at GrayWolfSensing.com, TSI Inc. at TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals at SunbeltRentals.com, April Air at AprilAIRE.com, and Healthy Indoors Magazine at HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnik at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Donald Weeks, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, who is first to identify Dr. Steven Spivak, PhD, is RIA's Technical Director for Fabrics and Textiles. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, July 16, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at tsi.com. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Historically speaking, which of history's big bangs occurred on today's date? Back to you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. So we've got John Isaacson, the intentional restorer. He's an author and the host of the DYO Joe podcast. John speaks, writes, and coaches restoration professionals to shorten their dang learning curve for personal and professional development. Welcome to back to the show, John. Thank you. Great, great to have you calling in from uh, Seattle, Washington, out on the left coast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just curious, tell, us, tell listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into the restoration world. Um, so I, uh, I, I've always, I grew up in and around construction. My uncle was a contractor. And so 
I think probably the best thing he ever did for us was um, we did odd jobs in the summer. And he always said, if you do good work, I'll pay you well. And, uh, and so we always got paid well. Um, but uh, um, I, I, so I was in construction, I was managing like a, a cabinet shop and it was, I really enjoyed doing that work. But when my wife got pregnant, um, wanted to work closer to home. So I transitioned to one of the worst jobs that I've ever had. And I was applying to anything and everything. And there was an ad for carpet cleaning at a local service master. And so I went in and they interviewed me and they said, you'd, you'd be a perfect fit for our mold remediation division that we're starting up. And I said, yeah, I, I agree. And uh, they hired me. <laughs> oh. And so that, that's, uh, I, I was just the tail end of the mold is gold era. So. So when were you, what year are you looking at here? 2002, 2002 was, uh, so we had a couple of good years there where, you know, we were cruising only doing mold, which as I moved further up from California to Oregon, people couldn't comprehend, you know, that we had a division that only did mold, but. And then did you get into the water damage restoration as well, or did you just stay in the mold? Yeah, that, that, that particular outfit was full service. So, you know, you had periods of time where maybe it wasn't as busy. So we'd, or our water team or our fire team picked up and we had a construction team too and a carpet cleaning. So um, had a real good opportunity to learn a little bit about everything. So, and, and from there, how did you kind of branch into this kind of, you created your own persona here, the intentional restorer and the DYO Joe podcast first. What's, what is the intentional restorer? What do you mean by that? The intentional restorer, I have to give credit to Michelle Blevins. Um, we, I, I wrote an article in 2018, an esteemed prestigious article in restoration and remediation magazine about the 10 commandments of Xactimate uh, success and um, it was one of the top articles for 2018. So uh, Michelle had reached out about doing like a monthly column and, um, and about Xactimate. And I told her, hell no, I would not do a monthly column only about <laughs> Xactimate. <laughs> and so as, as we were talking about, um, you know, Xactimate's like one component of what you do in restoration. Um, but if you're having issues there, Usually you're having issues elsewhere. And so as we talked about it, she came up with the, uh, the moniker, the intentional restorer, because we kept bringing up intentionality. And um, so that's, I mean, the, it's just an encouragement, hopefully for people to remember the bigger picture, but also I, again, going back to last week, you had me on, um, I'm going to look it up, but Katie Smith's, um, uh, comment or her, her comment when she was getting her women in restoration award, there are thousands of contractors, but we don't have thousands of problems. We all have the same major headaches. And uh, Cliff speaks about all the time. I mean, it's, it's funny how history just continues to repeat itself. It's really, we're not solving new problems. You know, we're solving the same, same issues, you know, and a lot of it comes down to how you deal with your people and your processes. I, I was really uh, impressed with Katie. I always have been. And then when, when she said that, and then also yeah. talked about the three things that all yeah. contractors, not just restoration contractors. I mean, yep. you, know, you know, we all deal with either 
pricing issues, or contract issues, or billing issues, or someone looking over our shoulder issues, uh, whether it be a third party administrator or, you know, the whoever's in charge of that building or the, uh, my son's got a little contracting company here, you know, and, and the owners will, will be watching over your shoulder and asking questions all the time. So, you know, we all deal with the same issues and that's what we wanted to get into in a little more detail here today. Um, but I, I was always curious where that intentional came. By the way, I saw you just had another article. Um, I just saw it this morning and, and it went over some of the highlights from the RIA convention in R&R again. I guess that'll come out very soon. Yeah, I, th- I think it. I think it's out now. I'm looking at it on the uh, on my other screen. So yeah, Cliff, I want to let you jump in if you have any questions. Sure, sure. Well, John, how and where did you learn these lessons that you've successfully been teaching others? IAQ Radio. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Oh. Well, I mean, seriously, that's part of. I can remember when, uh, when, when you guys. It was an internet radio station, right? So, yeah, uh, uh, talk shoot. Right. Yeah. So I would try to tune in um, as often as I could, and then um, uh, I, you know, the the old publications like um, IE Connections um, uh, that IAQA used to put out. That was always just full of really good articles. Found R and R, clean facts. Um, Pete gave me a copy of of this, uh, you know, the founding fathers issue. So, um, so, and and I was super fortunate. My first, um, my first boss, a man named Denis uh, at Service Master, was just a really good mentor. Um, and so uh, he, thankfully, I had a good example to learn from. And then my father in law. Um, he, he's a lifelong pastor, but he pours concrete and has always done construction and remodels and those kinds of things. And like I mentioned, my uncle, um, and so you just kind of monolithic concrete, monolithic. Yep. There you go. (laughs) Monolithic pour. John, uh, you know, you, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just had to. No, no, that's, uh, but, but, but honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, Maybe, maybe this is a good time. I've got a couple of questions for you guys as well. So what's, uh, what's, um, it, so 1985 cliff, you opened the, the unhouse, right? In the 87, 87. 87. Um, I think Pete who will come in for the, um, yeah, it's in the article. It's in print, 1985. So okay. I, I, don't I told you, to historians can be wrong, particularly when they don't <laughs> listen to other people. Uh, Even so, Pete. But I, I guess that was because Joe, that's your wheelhouse too. Like, how has has do you feel like training has changed that much um, over the course of of history, or is it a lot different from when you all? Because like you were pioneering it at the time. And it's now evolved into what it's evolved into. I think it's deteriorated rather oh. rather than uh, evolved, actually. What do you think's the core of that? Well, I think the core of it is anything, you know, for instance, if you want to learn how to scuba dive, if you want to learn how to fly an airplane, the best way to learn either of those schools or, or pilot a boat for that, the, the best way to do any of those things is hands-on. 
You yeah. can read as many books, you can watch as many videos, but yeah. until you're underwater at a hundred feet or flying that plane at 10,000 feet or yeah. piloting that boat in, in rough water. And what I wanted to do is simulate all the bad things that could happen and make them happen in that particular training course. So yeah. we went from the first hands-on, you know, water restoration class that was you know, teaching extraction and drying and all that stuff. And then we ramped it way up, you know, when we changed facilities and opened up the Restoration Science Academy, we literally tried to grow Stachybotrys in that facility. And we tried hard and spent a lot of money trying to grow it. We wet all this drywall. We kept it wet. We maintained the conditions and, and so on and so forth, because we wanted people to know that this was the real deal. And oh. when they left that facility, they would have learned how to do it. And, you know, we would have them practice the containments and so on and so forth. The third time was the charm. That was the real one. But yeah. prior to that, they built two. And, you know, we, you know, the same thing with sewage. We had real sewage uh, in, in that training class. And, yeah. you know, we simulated it with horse manure, which is non-pathogenic to humans. But there was a whole lot of E. coli there. And I told them that, you know, we have an industrial hygienist named Felicia. And she walks around with really, really long Q-tip swabs. And she's going to yep. be sticking those swabs and those crap and crevices and you'll learn whether you pass or whether you fail based on what she finds or what she doesn't doesn't find and you know she also talked to them and you know we brought in a lot of outside people and we just wanted to raise the bar you know there in our in the industry so much of the education has been dumbed down you know we pioneered the fire side of it and now it's you know other people went to those classes and now they're teaching it but a lot of the people that are teaching it don't have the hands-on field experience to yeah. answer to answer the questions so yeah. i think there's a whole lot of people running around with certifications that really you know are, are unqualified yeah, yeah. You know, I think also the, the financial aspect of doing training has led to numerous training courses around the country where one instructor teaches everything for three, four days, five days in a row. And to me, that's just wrong. Um, there are very few people who are experts in every area yeah. And you need to, you know, see different perspectives, different people teaching, teaching different subjects. I, I remember my first mold course was at Merck and they had, you know, Mike McGinnis and Joe Steebrook and uh, David Warfield and Mac Pierce. And, and they had people who were all professionals in their own right, yeah. in their own area of expertise. And we did that for years. I would take Dr. Dietrich Wild with me, Danny Hunt, uh, you know, and others and try. But financially, when you're trying to travel and put on courses yeah. and then take all those people, it just, it, it was a loser. Yeah. Um, I think now, though, with if they use this new technology correctly, you can do a better course and better still access. get those other people in there but it takes a little more work and a little more coordination than what people are used to. They're, they're used to going around teaching, uh, you know, 
a water yeah. restoration course by themselves for three days, packing in 25 people. The company makes a bunch of money on it, and I don't know how much the students get out of it. That's just yeah. my thoughts. You know, you know one further comment. I, I, I was always big on f- facility-based training because in my facility, I could control everything. Yeah. And I, I could control the experience. And it's not like going out, taking a, a group of instructors and going into someone's warehouse. Yeah. You know, you know, we, we, we taught the, these classes in a church and in a rectory. These were buildings that had problems. And yeah. that was great because uh, for someone who had never seen that type of construction, never seen that, that, that problem, they could see it. So um <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I'm just real. I'm just real disappointed. And what disappoints me the most is I offered to donate the training center to a number of our sponsors, all of whom turned it down. So it's it's not that I didn't make the offer. Yeah, I think one thing I've observed that uh, uh, I didn't realize wasn't common practice at the 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 first place I worked at. You worked for at least six months to a year before they sent you to training. Mm-hmm. You know, so you got the hands on, you know, you learned under somebody that had done it before and then you went out and got your certs. And so um, and, and it made a lot of sense to me because then taking the class, you now have a background and you can ask more informed questions. Well, what about this scenario? I also was very fortunate. I think my water and AMRT were with Peter Sirk, um, who's, you know, very, very good in the, in the industry. Um, and then, uh, but I went to other organizations and I've met with other competitors and like you get hired and the first thing they do is send you to a class. And it's like, you know, the college kid coming, you know, from the accounting class to the accounting firm, you know, just thinking they know it all. (laughs) But that's mandated, John. A lot of the insurance companies mandate that, you know, you can't be in our program and work for us unless your people are IICRC water certified. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that's a misinterpretation, though. Um, I, I don't think I've ever been anywhere where you had to have anything other than at least one person certified on the on the firm. I don't think that it's an actual qualification that every single person has to be, but I may be mistaken on that. Well, even to be just to be a certified firm, I think only one person has to have the certification. Yeah, technically, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let's let's talk a little bit about relating to the the younger generation, John. Um, how do you, are you more comfortable relating with people, you know, under 35 or over 35? Um, well, I, I used to say I'm a bridge millennial. Uh, I, I'm depending on which article you read, I'm either a millennial or Gen X. And, um, but I guess the new term is geriatric millennial. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's, and what's that? Well, I think it's like right, right on the cusp, right? So I'm 82. So some say 79, 80, 81. Um, so I uh, honestly, I, I feel like maybe more of an old soul um, in that regard. And uh, so, but I, I, I appreciate both. Um, and uh, so I, I guess I, I would say I feel comfortable with both. And I honestly do hope, I feel like you guys are like college, right? Like, uh, if somebody listens to IAQ radio, you can get a high level view of people that have been doing it for a long time and, and know their stuff. Um, oh, and, uh, and whereas we're like maybe junior high or, 
trying to help encourage people to pursue, you know, good, solid information. Um, um, but like Cliff said, anybody that knows anything, they've done it. They, they've gotten there because, you know, you've got your teeth kicked in or, or, you know, skinned your elbows or made your mistakes. Those are the lessons that stick, at least for me. So um, I think that's kind of the, the young guys need to, to understand, young guys and gals, you know, to, to seek out good voices and then um, like you guys have done with IAQ radio, have, have the people with the wisdom continue to share it, you know, and, and recognize people giving an honest effort to try to get there. You know, how do you, uh, let me, let me rephrase that. What, what's the biggest complaint with the younger generation when it comes to trying to learn from or work with us old folks? Um, first off, I don't, proclaim to speak for anybody. <laughs> Good point. Uh, I, I, very well said. Thank you. Um, I, I can say, uh, I think, so the part of that that uh, article and even our conversation last week about RAA, um, and it gets thrown around, you know, the good old boys club. Uh, and Ken Larson said it when he was on our podcast. He's, he said, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily see that as a negative term. There, There's there's a very positive aspect to the harder it is to get into something, the more valuable it is once you're in there. Right. And, and earning your stripes. And, um, but also I, I think a lot of young guys, myself included guys and gals, younger people, whatever the hell we're supposed to say these days. Um, a lot of younger people feel like, maybe they're further along than they are and, and have the energy and the passion. Um, and that's good. Um, but, uh, but it's, I think it's also important to, re- to recognize where you are. I mean, I, I'm 20 years in, which compared to you guys is, <laughs> you know, just getting started and compared to some others, that's, that's, that's a long time. Right. So yeah, I was going to ask you, John, um, if you if if you've heard of this, if you haven't, Google it. There's something called Dunning Kruger. Yes. And uh, and I, I think it, it it tends to describe people who think they know more than they know. But what's interesting is they had a group, I think, of Nobel Prize winners or whatever, and they did this opera and they made this song, Dunning Kruger, and they have. it's really quite interesting. I suggest you and all the listeners listen to it. It's, it's pretty good. You can Google it, Dunning-Kruger song, and uh, it kind of describes the syndrome and uh, it it happens. I think, you know, when I was young, I thought I knew more than my dad did and kind of found out that I didn't the hard way, but I think most of us go through that. Well, I think tying to the the dojo, which is the do your own job uh, dojo, um, there's the, the, the best student reaches a point where he realizes he could defeat his sensei, right. but never challenge them out of respect because they are where they are because of their, right. you know, their mentors and those kinds of things. So I think you do, and it's important, obviously mentors need to not, I think sometimes owners, bosses, managers get scared of up and comers. Right. And, and I was very thankful. My mentor was never threatened by, I don't care if someday you become my boss, you know, I'm, I'm confident in what I do and I bring to the table and 
you know, you should have people under you pushing you to be better. I think someone mentioned that in the comments um, about the owner that kind of hogs all of the uh, certifications um, right. and then don't get their, their employees trained. And I, I see a lot of that, you know, people just kind of getting certifications just to have them, you know, <laughs> right. So, um, it's kind of like boy scouting though. It's like when you're in the boy scout, you get this merit badge and, you know, you yeah. want to go to the jamboree and who has the most merit badges and yeah. Um, well, I think like you said, I mean, um, I was, I, I don't know if you were still involved at that point, but I did go to an RSA. One of the best classes I went to was an RSA in Portland for fire damage training. And it was very clear. I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but it was very clear. He had seen a lot, been there, done that. Right. And so we were asking questions and he was talking about, uh, and, and one of the things he talked about is, you know, uh, why are we so afraid to use water in fire damage cleanup? You know, if you have right. a majority right. of the structure damaged, right. get in there and pressure wash it, right. get it right. over with, and then dry it out. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, um, I think that's a lot in line with what you talk about is it's very specific to the situation. Um, and sometimes thinking outside of the box is very, very helpful. And sometimes using the box is very, very helpful. <laughs> But I'm, I'm still not sure that that's been adopted yet. You know, we wrote an yeah. we actually the first article in R and R magazine dealt with that in like 2007, and we talked about this Pittsburgh protocol and how, you know, you know, you know we we came to use it, and you know, it's just I don't know. You know, we have we have people that know way less than we do telling us how to do our jobs and then writing the protocols for us on how to do the jobs. And you know, about that, that, like that to me is a huge problem. I've got a, a text in from uh, uh, the audience here, John, what would you teach in a five day course? I, 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 and let's, you do your consulting. I don't think you have a group of people. You typically do your consulting one-on-one. -on -one. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to say, I, I, if anybody's like thinking about consulting, I don't know if this. I'm forming my opinion, but um, you know, I think consultants should be able, or a coach should be able, just like we're supposed to provide estimates. You should come to the table with a specific issue that you're trying to tackle, and if you don't have that issue, don't get a consultant because you're just gonna. You're, it's a blank checkbook at that point, right? But have a specific issue and your consultant or coach or mentor, advisor, or whatever, uh, should be able to give you, you know, a duration or a, a projected window, an estimate, right, of, uh, you know, I think it would take about this amount of time if you give me such and such commitment to um, try to solve that problem. And then let's move on to the next one. I think it's... Uh, you know, kind of like the dragging out a water damage project or, or not finishing a repairs project if it just keeps going. So, um, yeah. So, yes, uh, long-winded answer soapbox to your short question. Yes, one-on-one -on -one is primarily what I do. <laughs> okay. And then what would you do in a five-day course? Or would you even do a five-day course? Um, you know, a lot of times, like, uh, not a lot of times. I don't have a lot of people reaching out to me. I don't do a, a lot of advertising, but um, I recently had someone reach out to me about Xactimate training. And I said, you're asking the wrong guy, you know, go <laughs> call Ben Justison. And uh, so I, I refer 
I think it's important to kind of know your lane. I, I don't a hundred percent know what my lane is yet. Um, so I, I would ask the same question. What the hell would you want me to speak on for five days? You know, um, yeah. that would, that's a long commitment and, um, you know, brevity is the better part of wit, right? So let's uh, try know, to do a long day. <laughs> sometimes your clients don't necessarily need your, you know, feedback. They need you to direct them to the right resource. Sure, sure. And uh, there are many good resources out there. Let me, let me, before we go to halftime, I want to ask you a question about, you know, again, relating between the younger generation and us older folks. I mean, here we're doing a one hour talk show essentially that, you know, Cliff and I watched growing up, Charlie Rose and whoever else, you know. Um, I don't know that that appeals to the younger generation as much as it did to us. What do you think? Um, I, well, I, I think a lot of it, at least for me, a lot of it has to do with drive time. So if you have, you know, you're driving between jobs or you have those longer hauls or I used to always listen to podcasts while I was in containment, you know, um, you know, you're going at it, doing mold demo. Um, if, if you're in one spot for a long period of time, books on tape and, and podcasts. So I personally, I prefer if I'm reading, I like a hardcover book. And if I, and, and otherwise I like podcasts more, you know, every now and again, I like to listen to music too, but uh, probably primarily podcasts. So again, I don't speak for others. I mean, ours same, we're, we're about an hour, Jarrett, GMS, you know, we've got blue collar, a lot of great podcasts popping up. Um, and, um, but uh, one thing I think Cliff helped. Oh, you got it. You got it. Where do you find it? I called Bob. Uh, you okay. gave me the info. It took a couple of tries to get through, but um, is it everything I said it was? So it, it's even more. I think. <laughs> I think uh, it like should it. be mandatory reading. Yes, it's like a. Uh, I don't know if you guys are religious, but it's like a devotional, right? It's right. Um, <laughs> it's daily meditations for the restorer, um, and it's just so funny because exactly like you're talking about, like you know, you get your teeth kicked in and you. It, you know, lock that lesson in. And so uh, this is for those maybe that aren't watching, this is Robert H. Pack, Packroll, Bob Packroll's first degree burn book. Um, and he used to hand those out. Uh, you mentioned it on IQ Radio. We, 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 we handed those out as long as we could get them. In every training class, we gave one to every person that went through that training class, thousands of them. Yeah. He's still selling them for the same price, eight fifty plus two dollars postage and handling. So per- perfect. <laughs> now, one- now I have to buy some more. Then I'll. Get, it's just it's just phenomenal. And he actually had a he had another one called Second Degree. <laughs> when when I talked to him, <clears throat> he doesn't have copies of those. At least he didn't. Uh, okay. Yeah. What, give us a little pearl from there. Uh, you know, I think. I'm not quite grasping what it is. All right. I'll give you one. And what happens is uh, as an owner of a restoration company, Bob had this issue with this woman who kept calling him back to, she said she had this odor, smoke odor remaining in the kitchen after the kitchen fire. So they went out, they recleaned it. They did all the treatment, so on and so forth. He went out there, um, couldn't find anything wrong. And it just so happened that the ceiling had one of those ceiling fans that kind of spun around with the light built into it. 
So he jumps up on a chair and he taped the $50 bill or a hundred dollar bill to the fan and had it running real slowly. And when she came in, he said, I treated the fan and uh, I think I've solved the problem. And the woman says, yes, I think you have solved the problem. Yeah. So, Magically, it's, uh... <laughs> but, it, but it's just, uh, it's just one story after another of things that actually happened to him. Uh, awesome. Hey, let's, uh, we're going to stop here and, and thank our sponsors. We'll be back in 90 seconds with the second half. We've got John Isaacson, the intentional restorer and the host of the DYO Joe podcast. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, at AIHA.org. ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, at ACGIH.org. The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research at CIRIscience.org. The Indoor Air Quality Association, promoting the exchange of indoor environmental quality information through education and research at IAQA.org. The Restoration Industry Association, the granddaddy of the restoration industry, network with leaders at restorationindustry.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry at IICRC.org. And Healthy Buildings America 2021 in Honolulu, Hawaii, November 9 through 11 at HB2021-America.org. IAQ Radio industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee at AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us at ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring at graywolfsensing.com, TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations at TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at AprilAIRE.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers at HealthyIndoors.com. All right, let's get right back into it. I got a chance to look at some of the texts over the uh, halftime there, and I want to go to one from Bruce here, uh, Bruce White, that um, he has seen where the company auditing an invoice may ask to provide the training certs 
so that they can get the Xactimate rate for a certified person. I find that interesting. It's the first time I've really heard that. Uh, have you run into the same thing, John? Um, I personally haven't. I think that's probably more on the mitigation side, which the last several years, well, the last three years, I've mostly been in repairs or abatement. Um, but uh, I would say, I, I, I asked the question in the, um, in the chat as well, the Restoration Industry Association has a position paper, the AGA has a position paper on that topic, which might be helpful, um, which should be helpful in addressing that because the, the understanding is as long as you have somebody, the classic understanding, as long as you have somebody on staff that's IICRC certified and they're doing the everyday training, and that's the other thing I'm sure Cliff would agree with, um, and you, Joe, as well, is, you know, just because you send your text off doesn't mean that lets you off the hook from doing, you know, weekly <laughs> or, or, or situational training. I know when I was in Eugene working for a national vendor, you know, like contents would come in in waves. So we'd have three contents jobs and then we might not have another one for a couple of months. And then bio was the same way. So I always tried to, um, our training, we tried to do regular training to kind of prepare everybody for things, but then also we had to ramp up situationally to remind everybody, okay, this is how we do this. And uh, it's very tricky, um, you know, because you kind of have to nowadays be a jack of all trades as opposed to there was a time. I can remember a time prior to, you know, 08, 09, we had caulkers, right? There was, you would have the siding guy would lay the siding. And a whole different team would come in and do all the caulking, you know, and, and it was, it wasn't, you had a lot of foundation guys that could do flat work, but they mostly just get in and get out and do foundation work. And now most concrete guys will do all of it, you know? And so, um, you know, incidents like uh, the great recession have a way of kind of changing the market, but. Yeah, they do. And you also answered another question in the chat and you said that you would, uh, probably talk about the core issues, which you call people, process, production, and progress. I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, in, in my opinion, um, those are kind of, I call them the four pillars. So in my limited opi you know, opinion and perspective, uh, most companies I've ever been in, you know, those are, those are the key issues. The people thing a lot of times goes back to good to great, right. Where, um, get the right people on the bus and then get them in the right seats. And, uh, so much of our industry is focused on, you have to do it this way and you either fit this job description or we have no use for you. And we, we, um, we have such a high, um, you know, turnover rate because we don't recognize, man, this person's really good at this. Let's figure out how to compensate them to the benefit of our team to keep them maybe in that role rather than, you know, you got to promote to something that you're going to suck at, you know, the Peter principle um, and, and it hurts the, it hurts the organization and it hurts the people. And we lose a lot of good people because of that. So a lot of it starts with the people and then obviously you develop your processes. You have to produce, you have to be profitable and then have goals and objectives and make progress on them. All right. I like that. Cliff? Yeah, let's, um, you know, I think it's indisputable that younger people adapt and learn technology so much faster than the older generation. So I think that, that kids just have, seem to have a knack for it, or younger people. What else 
do you think that younger people also have a knack for that, you know, will help them in our industry? Well, I, I can remember at RIA, we're having a conversation um, with some old dogs and, um, you know, it, it's interesting, the idea of the annual conference, I mean, in the past, if I'm correct, I mean, that would be, you got together, you kind of talked about all the things that were happening um, and, and new things were being released and those kinds of things. And you look now, like the companies that invest in the Super Bowl ads, they don't even wait for the Super Bowl anymore. They release them, you know, like three weeks prior. So the speed in which information um, can be distributed, um, I think, I think the, the one element, the social element um, is still, I think young people are still understanding it because the, the information is democratized, right? There's no barrier to sharing any level of information. Um, and so that distribution channel is a lot faster. You don't have to wait to get information out. Uh, but at the same time, so I think the older generation needs to learn how to better share and communicate in real time, you know, things that are going on um, and especially important, important transactions and those kinds of things. And then the younger people, I think, because there's so much noise, you have to be very discerning on, you know, which outlets are credible. And like you said, not just because someone's good in this area doesn't mean they know everything about everything. So you kind of have to pick, you know, where you're getting your information on a certain topic. If I could respond to that, you know, I, I think one of the things that really scares me is there are certain words I can't type on Facebook. You know, uh, you know, if I, if I type the word Joe Biden, uh, you know, is NSA going to, going to look at me? If I, if I say that I am against the vaccine, is someone going to look at me? You know, when president of the United States was bumped off of Facebook and just, just think about that, just, you know, just for a moment. So I, I don't really believe that there's a level playing field with this distribution of, in, of information, because the people that control uh, the outlets, you know, Facebook and you know all these other organizations have the ability to shut anyone down, and that that to me is a very very scary thing. Hey, John, you, the DYO Joe podcast, tell us a little bit about the the reason why why it's the DYO Joe podcast, and then. You know, a little bit more about the style you use for that show. It's it's kind of uh, much different. There's one example. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior will come up from time to time or other things. Tell us a little bit about the, the your reasoning behind the way you do the DYO Joe podcast. The Joe podcast, uh, I like to say it is the uh, the most mediocre podcast in the industry, the property restoration insurance claims industry. We had 13 faithful listeners. We lost one, unfortunately, so we're down to 12 and uh, looking to, to add more. Um, but uh, it's, uh, I, it honestly started, I enjoy writing um, and uh, not as many people enjoy reading. And so, <laughs> uh, so I had a, a friend and Michelle Blevins was one that um, reached out and said, you know, um, if you made videos, we could post them on R&R to complement the article. 
Um, and that made sense. And so I made some real cringy videos in my garage. And then when um, the shutdowns hit, um, I wanted to, there was such an amount of information out there. I kind of wanted to get some perspectives from people that weren't in the circle. And uh, so I started, I just put those on YouTube and um, I think I called it like five questions with the pro or something like that. And, uh, and then I reached out to Jarrett Steer with GMS podcast and he uses this program called anchor. And so I realized I could just take the video, turn it into audio and voila, you now have a podcast. Right. And so, um, so that's, uh, I, um, I interject like little videos and those kinds of things, try to try to um, maybe keep people's attention. Um, I'm not very good at it, but uh, it's, it's fun to do and uh, time consuming. <laughs> do you think the um, younger generation prefers that as opposed to the way, you know, a lot of talk shows have been historically? Um, you know, honestly, uh, like, like we talked about offline, um, when, when you bring, I like controlling my cookie jar and, and having, um, less, uh, less input and those kinds of things, just doing what I want. So I really, I don't think all that much about like what people would like or wouldn't like. I just try to create the show that I would like <laughs> and, and, uh, since, uh, no one owns it or, or pays for it, then, um, you know, that's what works. <laughs> Why, why the, uh, Diojo dojo? What, what's that? Is are you a martial artist or is that just something that caught your fancy? Um, so when I was, um, I guess it kind of goes back to those four pillars. I think I had a conversation with the boss once about, um, you know, people just need to work together. And I said, that's, that's a symptom Teamwork is a symptom. It's not a cause. It's, it's an effect. And so teamwork comes from trust. And so if you want your people to work together, you can't just sprinkle teamwork and all of a sudden everybody gets along. And getting along isn't even the, the source. If, you, if, I, if I can trust you, we can work together. So if you're doing your dang job and I'm doing my dang job, I'm going to trust you. You're going to trust me. And where teamwork comes into play is... Uh, like, for example, we had a project manager. I told all my project managers, all I expect you to do is do your friggin' job, do your job. And uh, then we had a project manager that had um, a carpenter that had a family emergency. Well, now that's something outside of that person's control and an extenuating circumstance where now we need to come together and say, okay, what can we do that keeps as much of our stuff online without, you know, impacting other people, you know, this is an extenuating circumstance, but really the key to teamwork is trust and then doing your job. If everybody's doing their job, we trust each other and, and the ball's moving forward. And so that's the do your own job dojo. Um, and the dojo is the training aspect, you know, uh, that idea that we, you know, want to test our skills, like you said, hands-on <laughs> and, yep, yep. Um, and, and we're, we're active, we're getting sweaty together. We're making things happen. So I'm glad I asked that because now I understand, John. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to the roundup. The roundup is brought to you by April Air. 
providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, we're back. We're going to round it up with the Intentional Restorer and the host of the Diojo, now that I got that right, podcast. Or, or I just call it the Diojo Show because you do video and podcast. But anyway, let's get the Mr. Pete Consigli, Restoration Watchdog, let's see if we got uh, at least audio for Pete. Yeah, Joe, how you doing? Hey, good, Pete. Welcome back. Yeah, I... Uh... I came home after the hurricane and uh, my air conditioner kicked off. It was 99 Ooh. degrees and I had two leaks on the roof. And so first thing I had to do was kick the breaker and I had to start the restoration process. Now, it's not as bad as it sounded. but So the reason I'm not uh, calling in on the Zoom or you know calling in on the, uh, the video, it's because I have a little things disrupted here. So I figure... You know, all the audience doesn't need to see all that. <laughs> so while you're out there trying to help everyone else restore their their homes, your own home gets wiped out, huh? Well, you know what happened was the uh, <coughs> obviously after uh, the Orlando conference, I think some some of the listeners people know John and me hung out for a couple of days, and then uh, you know I was over in the other side of the state and uh, did the REA wrap up show from the AML and when I wasn't sure exactly where the hurricane was going to hit, I figured, well, there's no point in me coming over here if the hurricane's going to hit. There's nothing I got to do about it anyway. So I kind of waited until it was over and I called over here <laughs> and apparently, you know, from the, from the visual outside, they didn't say there was any damage, but of course that's because they didn't go into my unit. So they couldn't tell anyway, it could have been worse, but uh, look, I'm in the restoration business every once in a while. We need to kind of take care of our own problems like that. So there you uh, go, yeah, that brings us a little sense of reality. I think most people in the business, you know, when they when they have something happen like that, they think it gives them a little bit more empathy for their customers. Um, you know, when it, when it happens to yourself. So, good point. Uh, Pete, yeah. any any questions for John or, or comments on the show so far? Well, the first thing is, let me deal with that historical question. You know, I didn't I didn't <laughs> pull anything. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. Cliff, there's no way that they're going to let that one go. <laughs> so I didn't just pull 1985 out of the air. As I recall, maybe I was wrong, but it never got corrected. Uh, I thought that 85 was when the first kind of unhousing Braddock uh, was opened. And then maybe the first delivered class with the complete flooding and all that and starting to fire and the flood wasn't the lady seven. Maybe I was wrong, but I remember when I did the article and I researched it and I had asked Cliff about this. He didn't know, you know, none of those guys knew I wrote the article. It was kind of a, on the down low type of a deal. Okay. And um, so, so I can't, that's where that the 85 I came up with. <laughs> and then I remember back in those days, Cliff also did a lot of, um, the HVAC classes there. He did the basic two-day class, uh, um, you know, with duct cleaning and whatnot. That was a big item, and I remember he had he had all the duct work laid out there. So they actually did hands-on duct work cleaning too, and that may have been the precursor <coughs> to doing the you know the more significant restoration work. 
So am I wrong in that clip, or did I did I, we just get the date wrong? Or is there now I'm confused. I, I, okay, um, I, I don't remember. Perhaps the um, you know perhaps the HVAC came came before the unhouse. I, I I don't remember, but I mean the time period's correct. You know we. I thought we started the unhouse in, in 87 and, and you may be right that we did the duct cleaning there in 85. H- how you would know is what triggered that was uh, Marty King had a, uh, a program in Pittsburgh and the other co-speaker uh, bailed and they needed somebody else to do it. And I said, the only way I would do it is if we did something hands-on and then we, made the investment. And uh, I remember, you know, he taught part of it downtown and then we bust everybody out to Braddock and, uh, you know, we kind of did it and, and hand in our hands on way. So um, yeah. I don't know. I, 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 it probably doesn't so much matter at this particular point. Yeah. Well, Pete, well I like the old, the old saying, the old saying goes that we're close enough for government work. Oh, yeah. So there you uh, go. now I noticed that John, two times and I had to correct it. And so John, you you got the date you got the date wrong between now I know you showed I, I gave John since he's the values history. I I have like I have, I have five copies, original copies each to the Founding Fathers article and then the the IE connections paper in two thousand in October of when I uh, wrote the article on uh you know, and introduced the concept of the Restoration Triangle. Remember, I, I was on the editorial advisory board in the Restoration sector, and Glenn Feldman asked me to write that. That was right after the um, the S the the S the five hundred, the second version came out. It was in, it was tagged ninety nine, but I, I think it came out like right around the early two thousand when it was released, and that the term at the time was called the third party evaluator. Before, long before you know, the mold and started with the IEP. And uh, he wanted me to write to that audience, uh, you know, what the, um, how did all that work and what was the, re- the relationship? So anyway, John occasionally got that date, he got those confused. So October 2000, I connections, uh, March 2007, the cover story for uh, um and fathers and, and that you're entrusted with now now i'm down to four and then those <laughs> you, you got those two two out of five <laughs> well the, i guess it'd be a copy of 10 but anyway you you've got those and um anyway they're they're you have those historical documents whatever that's worth uh you know i um i'd be interested in i know we kind of uh, john wrote a a nice little piece. Uh, I think, I guess it was just published in the R and R and was, uh, he made some of the comments on, on the highlight show, uh, last week, but, um, I like, I like him to kind of go out on the edge a little bit and kind of comment on his thoughts on, you know, the conference and the next generation of guys, you know, his industry peers, if you would, from around the country, that are now being, you know, uh, coming to REA, exposed to REA, checking REA out, seeing what REA is about. Can they fit? Do they fit? Where do they fit? Um, Not to put you on the spot or anything, but I am. I think you have some specific viewpoints on that. 
And uh, I think they're interesting and important. And, uh, you know, I'd like you to share whatever, whatever you feel comfortable in sharing with the audience and, and for Cliff's blog. And for Cliff's blog. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think with anything, you have to define kind of what your objective or your vision is, right? And so um, RIA for me this year, my objective was, uh, has been for about a year and a half, try to get more of a historical perspective of kind of where we've come from and, and try to reach out to, um, you know, uh, different people that have played key roles in that, um, that uh, in the development of our industry. And so everybody you reach out to, uh, here's an encouragement. If anybody reaches out to history, if they're not telling you, talk to Pete Consigli, the global, the global watchdog, then you're probably talking to the wrong person. <laughs> and um, so, so that was uh that was kind of a culmination of a lot of hard work to try to uh, pierce the veil, as it were, and uh, still still working on that. And um, so I, I, I think uh, in my mind, you know, um, I think you got to recognize where things have come from uh, before you can kind of really formulate what you want to do to help it uh, move forward. And so what Cliff said um, while you were on stage, the key to growth is community. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, that's a really good, um, you know, if you're going to be a community member, especially if you're moving into a new community, <laughs> you know, it's not uh, uh, come in all guns blazing. Uh, sometimes it, it takes a minute to sit and observe and, and figure out where you might be most of use rather than, what might be most of use to you. Ask not what you, or <laughs> ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Cliff, any final questions, thoughts? No, I thought that it was, that it's fun. And, um, you know, you know, publicly, I, again, I, I, you, you mentioned it in trust, John, and, um, it's important and trust is, is really only gained two different ways. I think number one, it's gained one-on-one -on -one. and then sometimes it can be gained. Uh, if, if I trust Pete and you trust Pete, then we yeah. kind of trust each, trust each other. And, you know, I, I've, I've learned, you know, I've learned to trust you and, you know, I, I feel bad that, you know, I was a little aloof, but I was busy. So uh, yep. just, just that wasn't personal. It's uh you know, I think it does take some time to, to pierce the veil. So, yeah. so. Well, well, so. Pete, I think Pete gave me a really good compliment. He said, you're a persistent bastard. So I, I think that, <laughs> I, think that was all. <laughs> I guess it's better than an ignorant one. Huh? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Pete, final thoughts. So, yeah. <clears throat> Today in my inbox, for any of those guys on the, anyone else, anyone on the call who gets uh the building science uh, monthly little things that Joe Stebrick sent out. He just sent the notice out today that the, we finally did an updated version of the 40 year classic, the, the moisture control handbook, uh, moisture in residential buildings. And that has been a standard for years. I mean, he's, he's done a lot with the builders guides and he's updated those over the years, but the, the hardbound one he hadn't. And I just noticed that it popped up. So I did, I did send a link in the thread, a little bit earlier uh, 
the clip. It'd be nice to probably maybe capture that link and put that link in the, uh, in the blog. So anybody that uh, either isn't familiar with the book may want to check it out. And of course, any of the consultants and the people who've been using that book for years to, uh, to quote and for their reports and stuff and go get the updated version. So I think that that would be really, really good. And uh, I, I got, you know, those of you that are on the summer camp list. So Joe had to cancel the summer camp this year because there wasn't enough time to get the approval for the size of the crowd. So I remember he put a very specific thing. He said that this would have been the 25th anniversary. So he's postponing it to next year. And he goes, it's going to be epic. Now I'm thinking, uh-huh. Like, as opposed to what? Like, it hasn't been epic every year since. I don't know what epic is going to look like. Is that like summer camp on steroids? But anyway, um, I guess it'll be one of the uh, don't miss events. It'll sell out next year since it's been a couple of years and people are just kind of, you know, we're looking to get back. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of program he puts together and, uh, you know, what kind of experts that he has over all these years is, uh, you know, he's had just about anybody's anybody on all kinds of topics, but uh, uh, he always manages to come up with a few pearls here and there. Anyway, um, the good show guys and John uh, enjoyed, uh, enjoyed hanging out for a couple of days after the convention. Yeah. And I uh, appreciate you, you know, uh, of course, you got some video work to do and a lot of that stuff we did. I haven't bugged you yet on it, but I'm going to I'm going to circle back with you on and get on some of those videos we did. I think it'll be great. And uh, you're pretty good at that stuff. Cliff, he, he's really good at doing this stuff, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really, really good at it. So thank you, Pete. We appreciate, yeah. as always, you joining us. The Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli. Hey, John, before we go, any final thoughts, uh, anything we missed that you'd like to add? Um, no, I thank you so much for having me on. Um, I, I had uh, many more questions to ask, so I'll have to send those in uh, email follow-up. But uh, just thank you very much for having us on and for paving the way for uh, mediocre podcasts like mine. <laughs> thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. By the way, I... I'm going to work hard to try and get uh, Dr. Joe back on the show here. It's been too long. And now that he's got a new book out, I think we'll be able to pull it off. And uh, I also want to say that next week we're going to have another, uh, well, we're going to do a flashback next week. We'll be back live in two weeks. We've got Dr. Jennifer Samel and Kirk Phillips. We're going to talk about total worker health. And then uh, we're going to wrap up the year Um go into our summer break uh, two, uh, three weeks from now. We'll talk more about that uh, as we get a little bit closer. So this is Radio Joe saying thanks to this week's host, John Isaacson, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick, Pete Consigli, the Restoration Global Watchdog. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners and sponsors will be back in two weeks live, but we'll do a great flashback next week on IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.